Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, a week ago we remembered the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and today, this morning, you remembered Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, these two events are intimately connected. They are like the last day of school and the first day of the summer holidays. We, we think of them together. We naturally see them together. In Christ's ascension, he took his place on his throne in heaven. What we see in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost is his first act as our ascended Lord and King. And so this afternoon, we're going to look at Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in light of the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to look at Pentecost as an act of power, coming forth from the all-powerful king of the universe, the all-powerful king of heaven and earth. We're going to look at Pentecost as it really is, an earth-shattering, kingdom-forming event. It's a kingdom-forming act of power. Because that's what it is. When we read the words of the Lord Jesus in Acts 1, verse 8, our text of this afternoon, we see that he is really describing what happens in Acts 2, indeed what happens throughout the book of Acts. Our text reads as follows, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and to the ends of the earth. So that is our text. And so we need to see the event of Pentecost through the words of our King in Acts 1.8. Now we begin with the first half of verse 8. There we read, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now in verse 5, just before that, he speaks of that as being the baptism of, of the Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Luke, who wrote both Luke and Acts, records Christ saying something similar in Luke 24, 49. There the Lord Jesus says to the the disciples, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So in all of these places, the Lord Jesus is referring to the event that happened on Pentecost morning. He's referring to Pentecost, and he centers the disciples' attention on power. Power that comes down from heaven, that comes from the Holy Spirit. That power will will come down and be on them and in them. They will be clothed with it. That's what Pentecost is all about. Now, we need to unpack this a little bit. What does that exactly mean? Power that they will receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Now, as we, as we unpack what that means, we need to begin with God, the Holy Spirit. Now, the words Holy Spirit, the name of the third person of the Trinity, those words give a sense of a holy breath or holy wind. In Scripture, the the word for spirit can also speak of the life breath of a person. 
It could also be connected to the energy or strength of life that is in a person. So the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who interacts with his creation with power. And that's what we see as we look throughout the Old Testament. We see prophets and kings, judges, we see them given strength, a strength or ability that comes from outside of them and which enables them to do incredible things for the glory of God. Children, you can think of these stories. You remember them. You can think of Samson fighting entire armies by himself. You can think of Elijah running on ahead of of Ahab's chariot, running faster than a team of horses. You can think of prophets who, who speak the future, who see things with clarity, things to come. You can think of prophets who speak the very words of God to the people of God. Prophets who, give, who heal the sick, who give life to the dead. That is the Holy Spirit working with power in special circumstances, giving, equipping normal men to do incredible things. Now as we look through the Old Testament, as we, as we look at the activity of the Holy Spirit and try to summarize it, try to, as theologians say, systematize it, so that is, take all the pieces together and, and form a picture of who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit does, we can say that the activity of the Holy Spirit is God ordering His creation. That's what is ordering His creation. Organizing. And we see that hinted in Genesis 1. Genesis 1, you have the Spirit of the Lord hovering above the waters. The Holy Spirit there is seen as being connected to, involved in the creation of the universe. And that's what's referred to by the psalmist in Psalm 104, verse 30. There the psalmist says, When you send your spirit, they are created. But there's something else that we need to see about the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit also orders, organizes recreation. He reorders the creation. There is a recreation going on after the fall, and the Holy Spirit is intimately connected to that recreation. In Isaiah 63, verses 7 through 14, we read of the Spirit of the Lord being at work with Moses. He's at Moses' side during the Exodus. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives the people rest in the land of Canaan the land of the promise. We see him setting God's people up in the promise. And David, in Psalm 51, speaks of the Holy Spirit as giving him the joy of salvation. Speaks of the Holy Spirit as being involved in moral renewal in believers. So the power of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is God being present in the activity of creating, governing, and recreating. Now the power that came upon the church at Pentecost, those 120 men and women gathered in that house in Jerusalem, that power that comes down 
from the Holy Spirit. It needs to be seen in connection with this nature of the power of the Holy Spirit. What is poured out on the church at Pentecost is the very power of the Spirit. God is now working in His creation. He is recreating. He is renewing His people renewing his creation, reordering creation in a way that he had not done in the Old Testament. What's poured out is the Holy Spirit in greater measure. There is a sense of abundance after Pentecost that we do not have before Pentecost. Now I think that relationship between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit is an area of confusion among us. I think many have questions. I've had questions. How exactly does this work? Was the Spirit at work in the Old Testament? I mean, did believers come to faith without the work of the Holy Spirit? I mean, if the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, He wasn't present before. Were the believers before Pentecost, were they self-willed believers? Could you say that Armenianism, Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, that was all right, all correct, before Pentecost? Did they come to faith on their own? And how do we explain saints in the Old Testament displaying the gifts of the Spirit, the gift of the Spirit that we see spoken of in the New Testament? They show forth a regenerated life before Pentecost. In fact, the disciples before Pentecost, what do you read in Acts and Luke? They were in the temple courts continually praising God. Did they do that apart from the power of the Holy Spirit? And if so, if they did that with the Holy Spirit, then what does Pentecost mean? What actually happened on that day? John Piper has used a nice analogy to illustrate how things changed before the old and new. And it's quite helpful, and so I'll actually quote what Piper says. He says as follows, Picture a huge dam for hydroelectric power under construction, like the Aswan High Dam on the Nile. 375 feet high and 11,000 feet across. Egypt's President Nasser announced the plan for construction in 1953. The dam was completed in 1970, and in 1971 there was a grand dedicatory ceremony. And the 12 turbines with their 10 billion kilowatt hour capacity were unleashed with enough power to light every city in Egypt. During the long period of construction, the Nile River wasn't completely stopped. Even as the reservoir was filling, part of the river was allowed to flow past. The country folk downstream depended on it. They drank it, they washed in it, it watered their crops, it churned their mill wheels. They sailed on it in the moonlight, they wrote songs about it. It was their life. But on the day when the reservoir poured through the turbines, a power was unleashed that spread far beyond the few folk downriver and brought possibilities they had only dreamed of. And then Piper continues 
Well, Pentecost is like the dedicatory opening of the Aswan High Dam. Before Pentecost, the river of God's Spirit blessed the people of Israel and was their very life. But after Pentecost, the power of the Spirit spread out to light the whole world. Ten billion kilowatts were added to enable the church to take that light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to every tongue, tribe, and nation. It's end quote. That's a helpful way of understanding the relationship between the old and the new. The power of the Holy Spirit was indeed there in the Old Testament, but it was not experienced in the fullest. You can can look at it as you look at Christ. Christ was there in the Old Testament. But he was not there in the Old Testament in the same way he was after his incarnation, after Christmas. So at Pentecost, we see God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, being poured out on God's people in a sense where it is intensified and also expanded in focus. That's what we read in Joel 2, 28, 29. There Joel says, the Spirit, in those days, the Spirit will be poured out. There's a sense there in that word poured out, a sense of abundance. It's not going to be a little trickle, not a little stream. It's going to be poured out. And then he says, it's going to be poured out on all people. You know, men and women, young and old. There's an expansion in its focus. There is such a a richer experience of the Spirit in the last days, Joel says. The Holy Spirit will be present with his people in a way that is new, which is so much greater than it was in the Old Testament. What happened at Pentecost is a new era was ushered in. A new era in the history of redemption. Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven. He's enthroned in power. And he's the one that's doing this. He's the one that's pouring out the Holy Spirit. It's a kingly act. That's what Peter says in Acts 2.33. He says, exalted to the right hand of God, he, that is Jesus, has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Jesus Christ is building his kingdom. He is working recreation. And his first act is to send the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit to his people. Power from on high has clothed the people of God. The Holy Spirit is at work in the kingdom of the ascended king. And he is at work in the subjects of that king. He is at work in the church. So what then does that empowered church look like? What does that church that is filled with power from the Holy Spirit, what does, it, what does it look like? What does it do? What is its purpose? That's really what Christ addresses in the second half of our text. The second half of 1 verse 8. He says there, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
Now, the apostles were eye and ear witnesses of Christ. And they would spread the good news about Jesus Christ all over this world. The apostolic witness would be continued as the Spirit empowered the church to continue in his work. In that work of spreading the gospel of the kingdom. So every believer is called to continue in that work of witnessing. Now, they're not witnesses in the same sense that the apostles are witnesses. But they are still witnesses. They are called to testify. Like in a court case, you, you testify about something. You give testimony. And all believers are called to give testimony about Jesus Christ in their lives. Believers go out into the world and they tell those around them who Jesus is. They tell them what Jesus has done, what God has done through his son. They tell people about the forgiveness of sins that is there in Christ. They tell people about that restored fellowship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. They talk about what God's doing in this world, what God's going to do. They call them to submit to Christ the King. That's what the church has been empowered to do here on earth. That's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And that's what you see beginning in Acts 2, verses 5 through 12. You see that table of nations that's listed. It goes from verse 7 to verse 11. All those, all those places listed. What you're really seeing there is, is the, all the places in the Roman Empire being listed. Those people come together from all over the Roman Empire and they hear God's, the wonders of God being declared in their native languages. They were all Jews or God-fearers, those who came from outside of Israel who believed in the Jewish God. They came there as a pilgrimage for Pentecost, a Jewish feast. But they didn't hear the disciples speaking in Hebrew or even in Aramaic, they heard them speaking in their native languages. And they heard the wonders of God being declared. That begins right at Pentecost. And then those people, they hear Peter describing what Christ has done. They hear the good news of Jesus Christ. They hear that Christ is king. They, they hear that they are to repent. They are called to be baptized, to become part of that spirit-gifted people of God. And then as you look at Acts 2, 30, or 42 to 47, and, and Acts 4, 32 to 35, what you see described there is the church living out its life. It lives out the gospel. They bring the gospel with proclamation. They bring the gospel with their lives. And with those words of our text, witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, in those words you really see a division of the book of Acts. As you look through the book of Acts, you can see Acts 1 through 7 speaks about the work of the apostles, the spirit-empowered church in Jerusalem. Acts 8 through 12 looks at 
that work in Judea and in Samaria. And then Acts 13 through 28 looks at the gospel going out to the ends of the earth, spreading all over the world. You know, the book of Acts has been called 30 years that changed the world. The spirit-empowered church, the apostles and the believers, they spread the word wherever they went. By the end of the book of Acts, we have Paul doing what? We have Paul waiting to see who? Caesar, the ruler of the world. That's where the book of Acts ends. The spirit-empowered official representative of the ascended Lord Jesus Christ is about to meet the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world is about to get a visit from a representative of Christ, the ruler of the universe. It's the wonder of what God has done through his church. Acts only covers 30 years, but 30 years after Pentecost, Christianity was well known enough in the Roman Empire that Nero could blame them for burning down Rome. It's an incredible thing. A ragtag group, 120 people, Galileans from a poor part of of Israel. The gospel has gone out from them, empowered by the Spirit. Now, that's the promise that the Old Testament looked forward to. That's the promise of Abraham. Abraham was told all nations will be blessed through you. That's what we see happening in the book of Acts. We also see the prophecy through Isaiah. The prophecy that Simeon said when he saw the baby Jesus. He said, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That gospel continues to invade every dark corner of this world. And it does it not with, not with human power, it doesn't do it with persuasive speech. No, it does it as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 4. It does it with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. So when you look at the church from the perspective of Pentecost, and the power of the Holy Spirit that came down on the people, what you see standing before you in the church is a Holy Spirit-empowered community of prophets, priests, and kings. Holy Spirit-empowered prophetesses, priestesses, and queens. The Holy Spirit works in each believer to follow their great prophet, priest, and king. Every believer united to Christ, connected to Christ in faith, is move forward to live out those three offices in their lives. To quote our Heidelberg Catechism, they confess Christ's name. They present themselves as a living sacrifice of thankfulness to him. And they fight with a free and good conscience against sin and the devil, looking forward to reigning with him eternally over all creatures. That's who we are. We are the church. We are the spirit-empowered people of God still today. And what we do as we work, as we carry out our tasks, is we participate in that work of reordering creation. 
That's what Christ is doing through his people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're co-workers with Christ in his kingdom. We participate in that threefold office in the kingdom. And that's a perspective that has been lost to a large degree in the church today. Many have lost sight of the larger narrative, the larger story of what God is doing in redemption. What people will do is they will limit the gospel to personal salvation, to the forgiveness of sins. We say, Jesus died for me. But we leave it there. But there is more. That is indeed the gospel. Christ has died for us. He has paid for our sins. But there is more. And saying that there is more does not take away from what the forgiveness of sins is. The forgiveness of sins is a central part of God's reordering of His creation after the fall. It's part of His plan of reconciliation and recreation. But we need to keep it in its context of the larger story. That larger story is referenced by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.19. He says there, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting man's sins against them. What he's saying is that the central act in the reordering of fallen creation, that was Christ's death on the cross, but it's part of a larger act of reconciliation, of God claiming a people for himself, of saving the world. So when we see redemption, we must see the cosmic, the all of creation significance of what Christ has done. Christ is building his kingdom and he lays claim to everything under the sun. And that begins with his people. He lays his claim on us. He says, you are mine. He calls us to look to him in faith. He moves us by his Holy Spirit. He bends our hearts and our wills to look to him in love. He moves us to live for him. And then he, he calls us, he moves us by his Holy Spirit to go out into the world, to testify about him. And he equips us for the task. He works in us by his Holy Spirit so that we are reordered, recreated, so that we may live for him and serve him. It's a perspective that we have always held dear in the Reformed tradition. All of the world is God's kingdom. You can think of that well-known quote from Abraham Kuyper. In all of the domain, in all of creation, there is not one square inch where Christ does not cry out, mine. And that's what he does at Pentecost. He empowers his Holy Spirit to send his co-workers out into the world. And that's something that you're part of. You know, there's a building across the parking lot that was part of your parents' desire to live that out. They said, this is God's kingdom. And you are God's children. Every square inch belongs to him. That's why we're involved politically. 
That's why we get involved in our communities. That's why we care about our cities, our communities. Because it's God's kingdom. And we don't do it because we're so great. We do it because the Spirit moves us to live that out. So as you live this life, see where you are in the story of salvation. See your place. See that you live in what the Old Testament calls the last days. You live in the days of the Spirit. See your place in the purposes of God. See your task in the kingdom. Take hold of that task. Live it out. And as you do that, don't rely on your own strength. Rely on the Spirit that gives you strength. Remember that you are children of the kingdom and that Christ is your king. Remember who you are and remember your king. We today have so much more than the Old Testament saints did. Let us not neglect that great gift. Sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we wonder, boy, they sure did a lot with that little stream they had, more than we do. Take up your task. Don't leave your faith as a private affair. That's what the world around us wants to do. That's what we often feel forced to do because we're somewhat embarrassed. Our faith is just good for us. We keep it here. We keep it close. Now live your faith out. Give testimony to the world around you. Give testimony to the glory of God in Christ. Live your life before the world in a way that says, I belong to the King. I am a child of the King. He has saved me from sin. He has made me part of His people. and He has worked in me by His Holy Spirit to give me strength to live for Him. And I pray that His kingdom will cover this whole earth That is something that we say every day. Every day is a new day, a new opportunity to say that, to live that. And something that you can do. Something you can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us now respond to the proclamation of the word by singing together hymn 50. We'll sing the stanzas one through four. If you're able, please rise.